this weekend we're gonna be looking at the family value of serving selflessly. And this is a really, really tough one. I'll tell you why it's tough. It's because I'm not calling you to change an action. I'm really calling you to change an attitude. And if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. It's a lot easier sometimes to deal with actions than it is attitudes. But at the end of the day, you don't want actions to change. You want attitudes to change. And if we're gonna be the church that is gonna attract the community to us, this is where our attitude towards serving has to change. You know, whenever I think of serving, I think of what Jesus said in, in Luke chapter six, verse 31, he said this, do to others as you would have them do to you. In other words, Jesus says, I'll keep this really, really simple. When it comes to your relationships, just treat other people the way that you want them to be treated. And that makes such common sense. And you would think we would do that. But if you were to observe the average church, you would think that Jesus said, do unto others as they deserve to be done unto. In other words, they're gonna get what they deserve. If they treat me a certain way, they're gonna get it back, right? There's that tit for tat going on. Or do unto others as they do unto you. Or do to others before they do unto you. In other words, get the upper hand, right? Do unto others as your mood dictates. Maybe I feel like treating you the right way. Maybe today I don't feel like treating you the right way. But here's the problem with that kind of mentality. As followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, this is what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter five, verse one, he said this, follow God's example. As Christians, follow God's example. Some of your translations say, be imitators of God. And let's be honest, that's easier said than done when it comes to how I'm supposed to treat you and how you're supposed to treat me in our relationships. Let me give you an example. Jesus said this in John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And how has God loved us? He has loved us totally and unconditionally. He, Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must, it's not even an option, you must love one another. That means that if I'm gonna imitate God, if I'm going to follow God's example, I have to love you totally and I have to love you unconditionally. Now the problem with loving you totally and unconditionally is that some of you aren't that easy to love totally and unconditionally. I mean, every week I have to watch people walk in here with Tar Heel shirts on and stuff. I gotta love them totally and unconditionally. It's not always easy, but that's the standard that God has called us to. Here's another one, Ephesians chapter four, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just, in Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, let's think about it. How did God forgive us? Well, thankfully, he forgave us totally and he forgave us unconditionally. That means that if I'm going to imitate God, if I'm going to follow God's example, I have to totally and unconditionally forgive you. Here's the problem with that. If you do something to me and you really hurt me, for me to totally and unconditionally forgive you, it kind of feels like I'm letting you off the hook. It kind of feels like I'm letting you get away with something. It kind of feels like I'm not teaching you the lesson you need to learn about how you treat people, right? But see, if I'm a Christian, if I'm in a church family, if I'm a part of that family, I don't really have a choice because at the end of the day, this is the example that God has called us to. Are you ready? God has called me to treat you, not based on how you treat me. God has called me to treat you the way he has treated me. Well, that's a whole different standard. I'm to treat you <laughs> the same way that God has treated me. And it's really tough this weekend because as I said, we're talking about this idea of serving selflessly. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Galatians chapter five. Let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, Galatians is a letter in the New Testament. It was written by the apostle Paul to a group of churches that were located just north of the Mediterranean Sea. And just like the Apostle Paul, these are people 
who were also Jewish. In other words, that meant before they made the decision to become a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, they had grown up in Judaism. In other words, they had spent their entire life living under the Old Testament rituals. They had spent their entire life living under the law. And so Paul is writing to these new Jewish Christians who are trying to figure out how do we balance the law of Moses, what we've been taught all of our life, with the teachings of Jesus. By the way, the law of Moses is basically the book of Leviticus. And we're all familiar with the book of Leviticus because that's the book that prevents us from reading through the Bible. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? Because see, you start out in Genesis, like I'm gonna read through the Bible. Have you ever done that? And you get to Genesis, you got, you got creation, you got fall, you got the flood, you got the story of Abraham. It ends up telling about Joseph. Everybody loves Genesis. And then you get into the book of Exodus and it's about adventure. It's about Moses leading the people into freedom and through the Red Sea. All that adventure is going on. And then you get to the book of Leviticus and you get about four verses in. You're like, I'm not doing this. I'm done with this whole Leviticus thing. It is so overwhelming. I mean, there's rules, there's regulations, things you can do, you can't do. You can't mix certain things together. You can't eat certain. You got to do certain kind of sacrifices for certain kinds of sins on certain kinds of day. And you got to wear certain kinds of clothes. You're like, what does this have to do with anything? Forget it, right? But you got to understand before Jesus Christ came to this earth, the law was the only way, the only way that a person could have access to God. And to have access to God, it required things like a priest. It required things like animals that had to be killed and sacrifices that had to be made. But when Jesus came to this earth and he died on the cross, he did away with the need for animal sacrifices. And it's because when Jesus died, he was offered up once and for all as the ultimate sacrifice on behalf of our sins. This is how Paul uh, put it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He said this, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus Christ became sin. He took all of our sins so that we could be declared righteous, and righteous we could be restored back into a relationship with God. Jesus did that for us. See, that's why when you came this weekend, you didn't have to go out in the yard and get a sheep or a goat or a dove or an ox. You didn't have to do that. You don't have to go find a priest to be your mediator. It's because we have been reconciled back to God through Jesus. And as a result, we have direct access to God. See, understand when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he said, it is finished, he wasn't referring to his life. He was referring to that whole Old Testament and all the weight and all the burden. He says, now there's a new way to have access to God, to be in a relationship with God, and it is through me. So now Paul writes this letter to help these new Jewish believers, these new Christians, understand all of this. And basically he says this, you're now free from the law. You're free from the rules, the regulations, you know, the do's, the don'ts, the things that you had to do, the sacrifices you had to make in order to have access to God. You're free from that. Why? Because Christ fulfilled the law. And so now, instead of focusing on your relationship with the law, Paul says, I want you to begin to focus on your relationship with Jesus. Now, you can imagine what it was like when these people heard that they were no longer under the law. They were free from all this burden, all this weight, all these do's and don'ts and, and regulations of the law. You know what they were like? Yeah, you, you remember when you got your driver's license and you got to drive your car for the very first time. You got to drive mom's car or dad's car without them in the car with you. You remember that? You're like, I want to see what this bad boy minivan will do. You know what I'm saying? Right? 
right? I remember those days. My dad had a Chrysler New Yorker. You guys don't know what this, a 454 four barrel. That meant when you stamped on the pedal, it jumped, right? And I can remember being out on the Durham Freeway 147 thinking, let's see what this boy will do. My parents aren't here this weekend, so I can tell that story. They still wouldn't think it's funny, right? But that's what it's like. You, all of a sudden, you've got all this freedom, right? And these people in Galatia, they're going, wow, thank you, Paul. We are free from the law. That means we, don't, we can sin all we want to and we're gonna be forgiven and we're gonna go to heaven anyway. And there's another group over here saying, yeah, I'm not really sure that's how it works. So there's all of this confusion. So Paul's trying to help them sort it out. And he writes them the book of Galatians. And in this letter to them, he makes a statement about serving. Look at what he says, Galatians chapter five, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. That's why Christ came. But notice what he says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Literally, it means this, don't use your new freedom for your own selfish reasons. In other words, don't think, you know, now that I don't have to be nice, I'm not going to be nice. Now that I don't have to obey all the rules, I'm not going to obey all the rules. In other words, don't be like the teen that's driving for the very first time without his mom and dad in the car. Don't be like the college freshman who's away from home and away from authority for the very first time. Instead, Paul says, now that you're free from the law, understand you have a brand new opportunity. Now you have the opportunity to freely choose to do some things that in the past you had to do. In the past you were commanded to do. Now you get to freely choose them. And we all know in our relationships, there's a big difference between having to do something and getting to freely choose to do something. I'll give you an example. One of my chores around the house is to do the laundry. And one of the reasons that I embrace this chore is because I'm beyond, I am so much better at it than Laurie is. And I'll tell you why. Every Friday, I sort the laundry, I wash the laundry, you know. I, I, but here's the key to doing the laundry right. It's how you fold it and sort it, see. So when I fold it, I mean, it's like a science. I, I put the socks in this pile and then underwear's in this pile. And then white t-shirts are here, and colored t-shirts are here, and collared shirts are here, and shorts are here, and jeans are here, and then I stack it, and I can just put it, boom, 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 I can put it away. I'm telling you, if I let Laura get anywhere near the laundry, I'm talking shorts in the same pile with socks and underwear, absolute chaos around our house, right? So I, I freely embrace doing the laundry. Friday's my day off, I do it off, I do it every week. Sometimes on Friday, I'll go to the gym, and I'll come home and maybe I'll get distracted in the garage or maybe doing some yard work. And Laura will stick her head out the door and say, honey, don't forget, it's Friday. You need to do the laundry. And I'm like, well, I'll tell you what, woman, I'm the king of my castle and I'll do the laundry if I feel like doing laundry. See, isn't it a whole, I love to do the laundry, but if she tells me I need to do the laundry, whole new attitude. Paul, in the very same way, this is what he's saying. He says, I want you to choose to serve each other. Because in choosing to serve each other, You've got an opportunity to make an impact relationally in each other's life that you've never had before. Because it's not that you have to, it's because you're choosing to. I just kind of experienced this in a small way. Uh, I always kid about September being Laura's birth month. Laura's the most low maintenance woman on the planet. I'm serious. I mean, when it comes to anniversary, like last year, we were gonna go out to Sullivan's downtown and we were gonna get dressed up. And it was kind of a, a weekend like this. It was kind of cold and drizzly. And uh, about, about five o'clock, she said, do you really wanna go out? Let's just put on some PJs, order a pizza and watch a movie. And I'm like, that's why I love this woman, right? She's very, very low maintenance, except birthday month. And it is birthday month. 
and the bar is very, very high. And, and she understands there are certain things I have to do on birthday month. We have to go spend the night somewhere. There are certain gifts, there are certain things. But this year, I totally, because I chose to do something I didn't have to do. About four years ago, I called my brother-in-law and I said, hey, Laura wants me to get her golf clubs so she can play golf with me. Where can I get them? My brother-in-law said, have you lost your mind? Don't you realize that's the one place we can go on this planet that our wives can't go? And I ended up giving her a necklace I didn't get it for, right? This year, I bought her a set of golf clubs. But here's the, here's the kicker. I gave her the golf clubs. And she said, why did you get me golf clubs? I said, so we can spend some time together playing golf. I am a genius. I am telling you, I am on a pedestal that is so high. You know what the difference was? It wasn't because I had to. It's because deep down inside, I chose to do something special that I really, really wanted to do. See, it's one thing to give your wife a birthday present on her birthday, but it's another thing just to bring her flowers one day for no reason, not because you have to, but because you get to. And Paul says, when you start doing things because you choose to, not because you have to, it is going to change. It's going to impact your relationships. So look at what he says in verse 13. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, instead, serve one another, serve one another humbly in love. Not because you have to. I want you to serve one another because you get to. Now, what does it mean to serve? Simply this. It means when you see a need, meet it. When something needs to be done, you do it. When you see a need, you meet it. When something needs to be done, you do it. I called my mom the other day. She's 85 years old. And I said, Mom, what are you doing today? She said, I'm cleaning an old lady's house. I'm thinking, Mom, you're 85 years old. Is this Miss Methuselah? You know, who, who, in, who in the world is considered old if you're 85 years old? I said, why, mom, 85 years old, why are you cleaning an old lady's house? She said, because me and my, she's a shut-in, she can't go anywhere, and me and your dad went to visit her, and her house was dirty and a mess, so I decided I was going to go over every week and clean her house. That's what it means to serve one another. You see a need, you meet it. Something needs to be done, you do it. And it's not because you have to. It's because you get to. It's because you want to. And then Paul continues in verse 13. He says, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law, that's everything that we talked about earlier, the priests, the animals, the sacrifice, the rules, the regulations, the do's and don'ts. The whole entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, just one command. And it's actually from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul basically says this. All of that stuff you spent your entire lives trying to get right, all the laws, all the rules, all the regulations, all the do's, all the don'ts, what sacrifice do you make on this day? What sacrifice do you make on this day? What do you have to wear to this sacrifice? All those things, all those hoops that you had to jump through to please God. This was all that God was after the entire time. In fact, you can sum it up in one statement. He just wanted you to get to the place where you would love your neighbor as yourself. And how do you love your neighbor as yourself? Paul says it's real simple. You serve one another. When you see a need, you meet it. When something needs to be done, you do it. And then he gives us a contrast in verse 15. He says, if you bite and devour each other, 
Now, don't take that literal, literally. He's not talking about cannibalism. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And it's interesting, that phrase, bite and devour, that comes from one Greek word that in the first century was used to describe two dogs that were in the fight and it was so vicious that you could not separate them and probably the fight was going to go to one or maybe both of the dogs were killed. That's the picture here. That's the viciousness of it. And Paul uses that word. So he says this, listen, listen, people, you're free. You don't have to serve one another to be on God's good side. You can allow that self-centered part of you to reign and rule, and that's fine. That's your option. He says, but if you continue to bite and devour one another, eventually you're going to destroy one another. Now he's talking about relationships, so what is he saying? Here's another way of saying it. If you can continue to serve only yourself, eventually you will be all by yourself. That's what he's saying. Maybe not physically, maybe physically. There are a lot of times when things happen at Hope and, and I have to go do a funeral or I have to go to the hospital and someone's upset because no one's visited or no one's done this or no one's done that. And then I find out they never had any relationships in the church. They never served anywhere. They never got in a small group. And basically they did nothing for anybody else. So nothing was being done for them, right? So you may end up all by yourself. It would certainly be emotionally. And that describes some of you this weekend, right? I mean, good gracious, you live in a household of people, kids all over the place, activity everywhere. But because of self-centeredness, everybody's kind of built their own little castle, their own little kingdom, their own little world. Everybody's doing their own thing. They're not serving each other. They're not interacting with each other. Dad comes home and he's on the computer. Mom's on the iPhone. Kids are on the iPad, dogs over there watching you know, Animal Planet, but everybody's just kind of looking out for themselves. No one's engaging in looking out for each other. And you would be the first one to say, in your home, you feel all alone, even though you're surrounded by people all the time. Paul says that's what happens. That's what happens. In other words, if you continue to say yes to that small voice inside of you that keeps telling you that it's all about you, it's all about your schedule. It's all about your busy life. It's all about everything that's going on. If you keep telling yourself it's all about you, and if you refuse to serve others, if you refuse to do what needs to be done, if you refuse to meet needs that need to be met, Paul says, listen, if you only serve yourself, down the road, you're gonna end up all by yourself. And then he summarizes everything by giving us some advice in 16. He says, so I say, here's the solution. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, that seems pretty simple. What does it mean to walk by the spirit? Well, the moment in your life where you become a Christian, you accept God's free gift of salvation, what Jesus Christ did on the cross, dying for your sins. And you think I can never earn my way back into a relationship with God. And the only way I'm gonna have a relationship with God is if I accept this free gift of salvation. The minute you make that decision, you are reconciled back to God. You're restored into a relationship with God. He forgives you totally and unconditionally. And he, re, he resumes that relationship that he created to be in with you. And the moment you make that decision, the Holy Spirit immediately takes up residence in your life. Now, you may not feel it, and it's not like fireworks go off, but Jesus talked about this. He said, I have to leave so that the comforter can come. Now, what is the Holy Spirit? Well, it's interesting. The Greek word for comforter literally means one who comes alongside. And it was used in the first century. Say you're out in your yard working and you're pulling a wagon that's overloaded with rocks and you can barely move it. But your neighbor across the street sees you struggling, runs over, grabs the handle and moves the, moves the wagon with you. That's what it means, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, one who comes alongside. 
And Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you. He will lead you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit is kind of like a coach, kind of like a mentor. Kind of, no, 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 no. Don't want to do that. Or yeah, yeah, that's the right decision. That's what it means to walk according to the Spirit. It literally means keeping in step with the Spirit. It's living our lives sensitive to, it's being dependent upon the inner promptings, and you know what I'm talking about, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. In other words, as I'm living my life and I come up against selfishness, right? I say, Holy Spirit, I cannot handle my selfishness right now. I cannot handle my self-centeredness. I can't handle how I feel. I can't handle the temptation right now to make it all about me and my and mine and myself. So Holy Spirit, I'm going to trust you to do through me what I cannot do myself. That's literally what it means to walk according to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to prompt you to serve. And Paul says, as you learn to walk according to the Spirit, being prompted by the Spirit, Paul says that God is going to lead you He's going to lead you in the direction of serving other people. It just comes with the territory. And this is so crucial to our development as a church family. Because when we begin to serve one another, you're listening to me, when we begin to serve one another, we break the control of self-centeredness in our life. When we begin to serve one another, and you know, this is not about using your spiritual gift. There's actually something in the word serving that means that it is inconvenience. When you serve somebody, it's really like saying, I'm not going to let selfishness master me. I'm not going to wait until I have more time. I'm not going to wait until I have a change of heart. I'm not going to wait until I discover my spiritual gift. That's the one I get all the time. I'm not going to pray about it. I'm not going to wait until I find the perfect area to serve. I'm not going to wait until that church finds something for me to do that I'm really good at doing. No, no. What you're saying is through the power of the Holy Spirit, I am going to master my selfishness. And if I see a need, I am going to meet it. And if something needs to be done, I'm going to do it. And I'm telling you, every time we make that decision, we take a step toward breaking the power of selfishness and self-centeredness in our lives. Now, let me tell you why this is so crucial to our relationships. When you serve people, you'll begin to love people who seem unlovable. When you serve other people, you'll begin to forgive people who maybe initially seemed unforgivable. When you begin to serve people, you'll begin to accept people into your life who seemed unacceptable. And when you do that, you are following God's example. That is our goal. Our goal is very simple. I'm to treat you the way that God has treated me, and you're to treat me the very same way that God has treated you. Let me close by just showing you something in John chapter 13. Maybe you've never seen before. I know the guy spoke on this a couple of weeks ago, but God showed me this. I just want to show it to you. John 13, the context, Jesus is at the end of his ministry. No more miracles. It's over. He's gathered in the upper room with 12 disciples. They're going to have that last meal together. Jesus is just a few hours from the cross. Judas is there. And Judas is going to betray Jesus. And Jesus knows it. Peter is there, and in just a few hours, Peter is going to deny that he even knows Jesus, and Jesus knows that. And the other 10, they're going to run away, and they're going to desert Jesus when he needs them the most, and Jesus knows that. So you've got the betrayer, you've got the, the, the denier, you've got the, the, the deserters, and this is what it says in chapter 13, verse 2. 
The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew, key word, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God, and that he was returning to God. Now just freeze right there. Put yourself in this situation. You're Jesus. Wow. And you're surrounded by these guys that you know already are going to betray you, deny you, and desert you. God has put all authority in your hands. He's given you power over everything. That means basically this. Whatever decision you make at this moment, it is the right decision. There are no wrong choices. Whatever you decide, God has your back. He's given you all authority. He's given you all power. You know that you came from the Father. You know within a few hours you are going back to the Father. There's no question about it. And you're surrounded by the betrayer, the denier, and the deserter. What do you do? Verse four, so, key word, it means with all of that in mind, so, he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, and he kicked their butts all over the upper room. No. Or it would be known as the upper room massacre. It's not known as that, it's the upper room discourse, right? He got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. In other words, in a moment where all authority was his, when he had the betrayer, the denier, the deserters right where he wanted them, where he could have done anything to them he wanted to do to them and it would have been okay, it would have been justified. Jesus decided to wash their feet. He decided to serve them. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. If that had been me, serving them would have been the last thing on my mind. Serving them up, maybe, you know, but not serving them. But I want you to hear how Jesus interpreted this event in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. And my guess is there's a long pause here. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash my feet. That's not what it says, is it? I mean, let's be honest. We'd all stand in line to wash Jesus' feet, wouldn't we? We would consider it an honor to wash Jesus' feet. He doesn't say that. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. In other words, Jesus was saying, I want you to leverage the freedom that I've given you to serve each other, to serve other people. I want you to recognize their need and meet it. I want you to figure out what needs to be done and I want you to do it. Not because they deserve it, not because they've earned it, not because you feel like it, not because it's where you're gifted, simply because that's what I did for you. I mean, isn't that the most unbelievable thing you have ever heard? Now, let me just ask you a question. What if all of us who were a part of Hope Community Church, what if we adopted this attitude? What is the need? How could I meet it? What needs to be done? And how could I do it? Now, I just want to close by saying something. And... Uh, if you're visiting, it's just going to sound like dad 
talking to the family, but it's because it's going to be like dad talking to the family, okay? We're talking about how can we be an unconditional family, right? The statistics say that it's, when it comes to churches, it really is the 80-20 rule. 80% of the people just show up and do nothing. 20% of the people serve. It may even be a little less than that at Hope. Let me just say this. There are people at all of our campuses that consistently serve you. They arrive early. They leave late making sure everything runs smoothly. They help you park your car. They make sure everything runs smoothly. They help you take care of your kids, mentor your teens, change your baby's dirty diapers. They serve you coffee and then they clean up after you when you spill it. They get up here and lead us in worship and help us every week, not because we deserve it, not because they feel like it, just because they're simply following God's example. I was able to observe this weekend, people pull in. If you were a visitor, your flashers came on. They parked you. Someone ran out, met you with an umbrella, walked you in, introduced you to someone, maybe took you to the class where your teacher, the teacher was going to be. Who was going to take care of your child until you picked them up? You came into a room where there were people working in the video room and the sound and the lights and volunteers with cameras and, and everything done just, just for you. Now, this, this is the tension. And it's just like in your home when there's even one family member that has a sense of entitlement, right? It, it causes stress and anxiety. Here's the tension. Some of you just take and take and take and take. I'm just being honest. And you have an incredible sense of entitlement. And you never, ever give back. You never serve in return. Oh, you're grateful. Yeah, they changed your baby's diaper, so you don't have to, right? And you're, you, you know, you're glad they did it. And you're nice, nice to the volunteers and all, right? But you don't serve. And they're not going to complain. They're never going to say anything. Hey, they're, they're servants. But I will tell you this. Uh, they don't understand why you don't deal with your self-centeredness. They don't understand why you feel like it's all about you and you're entitled and you're, exception, you're the exception to this rule of, of serving one another. But I'll tell you why. It's because you, see, you've allowed your freedom, see the absence of rules and structure that says you have to do this, you've allowed your freedom to make you so self-absorbed, I'm just being honest, that you're hindering what God could do, not just in our church, not just in our community, not just in the world, but see, more importantly, what God could do in you. Remember what Paul said? When you serve, you fulfill the entire law of God. You love your neighbor, you love your spouse, you love your kids, you love your coworkers, you love your fellow church members as yourself. And when you do that, you're following God's example. Now, you can serve around here, it's easy. All you gotta do is pull out your phone, go to the Get Hope app, hit serve, it'll tell you exactly what you need to do. Not a big deal. We have guys in the parking lot that park cars and those raincoats that are CEOs of companies. When Butch Davis was here for the, when we coached at the University of North Carolina, him and several of his coaches parked cars out here every weekend. It wasn't beneath them. We have people that fly around on SAS's corporate planes who are small group leaders for two-year-old kids. It's not, it's, 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 it's not beneath them to do that. Anybody can park a car. Anybody can greet someone. Anyone can make someone feel welcome. Most people can turn on buttons and serve coffee and be a small group leader for a five-year-old. Most of us could do that. 
It's not whether you can do it or not. It's whether you have the attitude you want to do it or not. And it has nothing to do with your giftedness. I doubt, I doubt seriously that Jesus' spiritual gift was washing feet. My guess it was probably teaching, miracle worker, I don't know, but I doubt that washing feet showed up in his top 10. But he saw a need and he met the need because he had the heart of a servant. And he said, follow my example. This is what it says in Mark 10, 45. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he looks at us and this is what he says. Christians, ha ha, there's your example. Now imitate me, become a servant. I wish I could make you. I wish I could find a verse in Leviticus that says you're all gonna go to hell and burn forever unless you serve. But you know it's not in here. But I will tell you this. You will never become the person that God has called you to be or designed you to be until you begin to serve other people. Because in doing so, you fulfill the entire law and you're loving your neighbor as God has loved you, totally and unconditionally. Father, thank you that there are these truths and they're painful truths because we're so self-absorbed. I mean, we are the center of our universes. And for most of us right now that don't serve, we have every reason in the world we are too busy. Who wants to come to church for two services? I mean, if you serve, you gotta come for one and then you gotta attend one and that's, wow, I don't wanna do, that's, that's what fanatics do or something like that. But God, it's not about what the church needs. We get by just fine. We get by just fine. It's about what you want to do in our lives. And it's about us becoming an unconditional family that loves one another and accepts one another and forgives one another. Oh yeah, and we serve one another. Thank you for setting the example that you didn't come to be served, but you came to serve. And may we learn this principle so that our lives can be changed. In your name we pray, amen.